You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Here's Nate. Well, everyone builds their lives upon Proverbs. Uh, Not necessarily the Proverbs found in Scripture, but saying words of wisdom, concepts that people will build their lives upon. And the big question, of course, is, Who is the author of the Proverbs that you are building your life upon? Who is the one who is giving you the concepts for living and the philosophies of life? And so today we turn to the book of Proverbs, where we get 31 chapters of wisdom directly from the hand of God to us as his people. For this reason, the book of Proverbs is an incredibly life giving uh, kind of book. There's just so much vitality that is found within it. We start out in the verse in the first verse with the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now Solomon, of course, was the second uh, king after uh, David. So you had first Saul, then David, and the Davidic line then began. And then you had Solomon. And Solomon built the kingdom of Israel into great glory. Of course, his latter days were spent in rebellion and sin. But God gave him incredible wisdom. And the first 29 chapters of the book of Proverbs can easily be ascribed to Solomon, while the final two chapters are actually written by two other men. And we'll get to them when we get to chapter 30 and chapter 31. A proverb, very simply, means to be like or to be compared with. Uh, A proverb is an object lesson based on usually a comparison or an analogy. There's a lot of parallelism in the book of Proverbs. They are usually short and pithy, and they're designed to help us choose the right way for life. They are wise and insightful Pronouncements. Someone said that they are brief maxims. The verses in Proverbs are distilled to the point sentences about life. And the book of Proverbs includes for us about 900 precepts dealing with subjects such as success, self control, honesty, fairness, honor, purity, peace, generosity, joy friendship, romance, love, contentment, marriage, parenting, citizenship, the impoverished, diet, work ethic, true femininity and masculinity, leadership, anxiety or worry, substance abuse, money, life, and death. So you can see that the book of Proverbs really touches on the practical nature of everyday living here on earth. In fact, it's been noted that the book of Proverbs really doesn't give much attention to the afterlife. This is not the life with God eternally, but the life with God here on earth in the here and now. Now, a couple of things to note before really jumping into the book of Proverbs. 
We should note, I think, that many of the Proverbs should be regarded as guidelines or generalizations, uh, not ironclad promises or universally binding premises. You know, for example, maybe this one would be a good one to illustrate this point with, but Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And taken as a universally binding premise or an ironclad promise, uh, any parent who watches their child grow older and then walk away from the Lord has to assume that they did not train up their child in the way that he should go, that somehow the failure is with themselves. But actually, probably the better way to take that is it is a general truth and guideline for life. In general, you train children up in the way that they should go. And as you give them that training in their early years of life, it's going to be very difficult for them to depart from it later on uh, in life. However, they are free moral agents. And even with some of the best training, they may walk away from the Lord. And the rest of scripture seems to bear out that reality. So it's good for us as we go through the book of Proverbs to understand these are incredible truths that govern uh, the world in general. But as rules go, there will always be those who are exceptions to the rule. But these are the, you know, the wisdom that you could look out and say, in general, this is the way life works here on earth. Now, also as well, the question we could ask is, how should a Christian read the book of Proverbs? And I think that a Christian should read the Proverbs uh, with the understanding that Jesus Christ is our ultimate wisdom. It says in Colossians 2 verse 3 that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Proverbs is a very human book, but Christian faith, I think, goes even beyond the beautiful thing that the book of Proverbs describes. Taken by itself, there are moments where Proverbs might appear calculating uh, in comparison with the sacrificial self giving of Christian love. And I think Christians also should read the book of Proverbs, not only seeing the ultimate wisdom as found in the cross of Jesus and the fulfillment of wisdom found in the life of Jesus, but we also must read the book of Proverbs with a healthy dose of humility, lest we become whiny about the world that we live in and the folly that we see inside of it and arrogant or pharisaical uh, about, you know, our success in this world as we live according to the Proverbs. No, we need to remember that the law is spiritual. And so it goes down into the very heart of who we are. So even if we are keeping a proverb externally, internally, we still need the help of the Holy Spirit to heal our hearts and conform us into the image of Jesus. Now in verse 2, we get a statement concerning the beautiful benefits of wisdom. It says this, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. 
Now, I love the word wisdom found there in verse 2. It basically is a word that means skill. In other places in the Bible, this word for wisdom is used to describe the abilities of the tabernacle craftsmen or seasoned mariners or those with administrative ability or excellent singers or counselors. Basically, it's a word that means skill. And he says, this book will give you the skill for life and also instruction or discipline or training. In other words, one of the major benefits of this book is the ability, as we glean the wisdom found inside of it, to live life with incredible skill. I'm sure you've all had the experience of trying to cut something with a dull knife. Well, living life by the Proverbs is a sharp knife kind of life. And I find that life is hard enough as is. And so to ignore the Proverbs makes life even more difficult. And I want the simplest, easiest life I can possibly live. I don't want to invite unnecessary pain into my life. And so the Proverbs actually help you here to live a life of great skill. Then he expands on that concept or that benefit, that life of doing life with skill. In verse 3 through 6, when he says, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Here we have a few additional benefits of this wise life that is held out to us in the book of Proverbs. First of all, did you notice there in verse 3, he says, you get from this book instruction in wise dealing. The New Living Translation says, uh, the ability to live a successful life. And so not only is this a life of skill, but that life of skill, that skilled life, is going to lead to good success, instruction and wise dealing, just knowing how to do things well, knowing how to be successful, knowing how to make it here on earth. And to understand, he says, things like righteousness, what is right, justice, what is just, and equity, what is fair. We need the truth of God's word to be able to see how to live successfully here on earth according to God. Not only that, not only is there the benefit of living successfully, but did you also notice in verse 4, he said to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now, the simple is someone who is naive and untaught, not quite the fool that we'll see later on in the book of Proverbs. He does have the ability to comprehend, uh, but he's just limited in his experience, limited in his exposure. The Proverbs can give a person who is limited in their experience, can give them wisdom, can give them experience. And not only that, not for the just the simple, but a second group as well in verse 4, also to the youth. 
to the youth. So with the simple and the youth, you have two camps of people who are inexperienced and they haven't been exposed to very much life yet. And the beautiful thing about the Proverbs is that the Proverbs will give the person, without actually having to go through the things in life, will give the person experience. I like to say it gives them experience the easy way, gives them wisdom the easy way. It's one of the blessings of the book of Proverbs. You don't have to go out and live it and go through the school of hard knocks. You can actually just glean from God's word great truth, which will help you in life. And then also another great benefit here in verse 5 and 6 He says, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. So not only are the Proverbs helpful for those who are simple or youthful or inexperienced for one reason or another, but the Proverbs can also help those who are wise. They can actually, he says, increase in learning so they can continue to grow And really basically compound the wisdom and the knowledge that is already theirs. And what is the beautiful thing that they receive in verse 5 and 6? Did you see it? The word there at the end of verse 5. They receive guidance. Guidance. Like sailors steering a ship in the open waters. Guidance. The benefit of being guided. And so... Of course, this means that we must humbly come to the book of Proverbs to get the guidance and the help that we need in this life. Now, in verse 7, we have really a key verse in the book of Proverbs. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, the fear of the Lord is a concept that we're going to see 15 times in the book of Proverbs. And this is helpful to us because right away we see that this book is a different kind of book than other wisdom literature from ancient times or even wisdom literature from modern times. In other words, it's wisdom that is not separate from God but is very much connected to and actually begins with God. Now, of course, the question is, what is the fear of the Lord? It sounds a little scared, doesn't it? It sounds a little paranoid of of God. But to fear God is to reverence God, to respect God, to stand in awe of his righteousness or his majesty, his holiness, his power, And to not run from him, but to trust him by humbly depending upon him. Now, of course, we would say, well, why is this the beginning of knowledge? Why can't we just receive some common sense sayings that are pithy and short and tweetable that we can just, you know, think about and receive and, you know, in life just kind of apply them to life, whether or not we're walking in step with God or not. Well, the reason that that isn't really possible is because Proverbs describe a skilled and sensible life. God made the world with wisdom. So when you 
begin with these Proverbs, you'll eventually be led back to God because he's the author of these Proverbs. He's the author of what a skilled and sensible life looks like. He created the laws of the universe. So you must regard God. A fear of God, a reverence for God is the bedrock of life, uh, of, of wise living. Now, it says here that he's, it's the beginning of knowledge. The start or the essence of knowledge is found in the fear of the Lord. And if that's the beginning of knowledge, I think I would say the cross of Christ is the depth of knowledge. Uh, and to you know fear the Lord daily, but to remember ultimately the cross of Jesus. And I'll attempt to highlight that as we move through the entirety of the book of Proverbs. Now, in verse 8, we really actually are now are jumping into the book of Proverbs, where we have a long section all the way through the ninth chapter, where we're dealing really with a father speaking to his son. Hear, my son, verse 8, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now, one thing that we get from Scripture and one thing that we get from the cross of Christ is we get a Father in heaven disciplining us, training us, and speaking to us. And for that, we ought to rejoice. A pure Father, a perfect Father, an all-wise Father who always has our best interest in mind. And here, this Father says to his Son, if you receive this instruction... And your mother's teaching, they will be a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. This speaks of an honorable life. Uh, You're going to win in life and be decorated for the winning that you're doing in life if you take heed to these Proverbs. My son, he says in verse 10, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, he says, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. So one of the first things that this father tells his son is, listen, sinners will try to entice you. And when they do, do not walk in the way with them. Their feet run to evil. Stay away from their lives. Now, this, of course, is necessary to say because there is something initially attractive about sinners and their lifestyle. We might remember in Hebrews 11, It says of Moses that he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. There is something initially attractive and pleasurable about sin. The reason why it's so tempting is because there's fun in it. There's an experience in it that is pleasurable, but for a moment. It's fleeting pleasure. And here, Solomon is telling his son, watch out for that personal pressure. You don't want to run with the wrong crowd or mix with the wrong people. 
And I think for us, we would realize that there is a pressure from individuals, and so we must watch out for the people that we connect ourselves to, firstly and primarily, but secondarily, there is also a pressure from the world, isn't there? There are sinners enticing us who we don't even know who project to us through the airwaves or onto screens. And we must make sure that we aren't being enticed by that sinful life. We must guard our hearts. He says of them in verse 17, for in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Now, the idea here is that a bird who sees the net stays away from it. But not these sinners. They are actually setting a trap for themselves. And the beautiful thing is that a personal walk with God can give you the backbone to reject this crowd And an infatuation with the cross of Christ can give you a desire not only to reject this kind of life, but actually to live the opposite kind of life. One thing that you notice here is that all these people want to do in this paragraph is take. But we aren't people who just say, well, I want to abstain from that kind of sin. No, we want to run towards actually giving our lives much as Jesus gave his life. We're not just wanting to avoid taking blood like these men were doing, but we want to find ways to actually spill our blood in the proverbial sense, to lay down our lives, to give our lives, to lose our lives that we might find them. Now, in verse 20, wisdom is actually personalized. Wisdom, he says, cries aloud in the street, In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, most simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Now, here we have a picture of a city, streets, markets, Uh, a gate of the city, and wisdom like a woman going out and raising her voice and inviting people to receive from her. If you would just receive from me, I would give my spirit to you. I'd make my words known to you. In other words, if you received from me, you'd get more wisdom. Wisdom, when he did, begets more wisdom. There's this circular, uh, compounding, multiplying kind of flow. One thing that you should see there, though, is that she cries out in the street and the markets and at the entrance of the city. I think this speaks of the reality that the wisdom of God is so applicable on a street level. She continues to cry out in verse 24 and say, Because I have called and you refuse to listen, I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but not find me 
because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would and would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, and have the fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure, and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now here, wisdom, again personified, this is an idiom or a literary device. She basically says, look, you don't receive from me. I'm going to laugh at you. I'll mock you when terror strikes you. Now this isn't God laughing. He doesn't take delight in the folly of the world or the judgment that he has to bring upon them. It is, as the Bible says, his strange or his foreign work. But this is a picture to say that the spurned advice will come back to haunt a person. And so to submit to it leads in general to a life of ease without dread. Now in chapter 2, he goes on to say, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Here we have a real heart-to-heart chat from father to son. And what he highlights here in these five verses is really worth noticing. He says, son, you've got to, and notice all the words, receive my words. You've got to treasure my words. You must be attentive to wisdom. You must incline your heart. You must call out for insight. You must raise your voice for understanding. You must seek it like silver. You must search for it as hidden treasures. And if you do, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It appears that one of the things that needs to be highlighted here is that effort here, we must know this, must be expended for one to become wise. Now, for some of us who so cling to justification by faith and that the just actually live by faith, it might be hard for us to consider effort. But faith without works is a dead kind of faith. No, a real legitimate faith causes us to, with strong effort, say, I want to, I desire to, I long to, and I will pursue the wisdom of God in my life. Consider these cross-references. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Luke 13, verse 24. Jesus, strive to enter through the narrow door. Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So it's important for us to have a strong desire for this wisdom from God. Then he goes on to say in verse 5, if you do, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord 
and find the knowledge of God. In other words, as you live out this wisdom, one thing that happens is you just find such joy and pleasure in living this kind of life. And that joy and pleasure gives you an even deeper respect and love and admiration for God. That clean feeling within causes you to worship the Lord even more fully. He goes on to say in verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. This is part of the reason why we want to be a people who are all about the Bible, who love the Word of God, because it saturates our minds and it gives us the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He stores up, verse 7, sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of the saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasing to your soul. So victory or success or sound wisdom is given as we apply the truth of God's word. And notice there that it actually comes into our heart. That's something the Holy Spirit is able to do. And it is pleasant to our soul. The beautiful thing is that the stuff that God tells us to do, the the requirements of his word, it's actually to our benefit. It's so wise and discerning. And over and over again, as you go through God's word, you discover that his dictates are actually for the great blessing of his people. Discretion, he says, verse 11, will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So the word of God, the wisdom of God actually guards you from People who have turned away from that which is normal. That's what it means to be a man of perverted speech. So the wisdom of God actually guards you from wicked people. Now, one example of that is mentioned in verse 16. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down into death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So as Solomon is warning his son, he says, son, you must watch out for the forbidden woman. Now, if he was writing to his daughter, he would say, watch out for the forbidden son. So uh, for the for the for the uh, forbidden man, so both are true. It's just that he's speaking to his son, so he speaks of the forbidden woman. Now, this is going to be dealt with later, uh, more fully in the book of Proverbs. But here, you basically have uh, two types of women described, really that are the same person. One is the forbidden woman. That means she's outside of the covenant community. And then you have the adulteress. That means she's outside of her covenant marriage. 
and notice some of the elements of this adulterous woman. She uses smooth words. You know, she gives flattery. She's seductive. She's suggestive. She's flirtatious. She forsakes the companion of her youth. She just forgets about him. She forgets the covenant of her God. Even worse, she forgets God. And ultimately, where she's going to lead a man is towards death. That's what's happening in her house. Now, this probably isn't speaking of literal death, but something even more costly than that, death of the soul. Sexual immorality is a kind of sin that leads to real harm of the soul. It says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 that we are to flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Here in the Proverbs, it's painted as a point of no return, death, and the place of those who have departed. But fortunately, Jesus comes and gives us the grace to know that there is a path forward. He told the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And even in the Old Testament, we do see shadows and hints of that beautiful grace of God. There was, after all, the author of this book, Solomon who was the son of David, but also the son of Bathsheba and was beloved by God. So, verse 20, You will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out by it. For the people of Israel, their... version of God's blessing was to inhabit their land. You and I have different versions of God's blessing. There is a spiritual land and spiritual vitality that we can receive, but we cannot receive all that God has for our lives when mired in disobedience. So we want to cling to his word and walk in a way that is honoring to him. We must pray for God's grace to give us the wisdom that we need that we might walk in the ways of God. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.